The AMA Moving Medicine podcast highlights innovation and emerging issues that impact physicians and patients today. Hello, this is the American Medical Association's Moving Medicine video and podcast. Today, we're talking about the importance of reducing physician burnout, including the top five actions that healthcare leaders can take now to support their teams. I'm joined today by Dr. Tina Shaw, principal of TNT Health Enterprises in Jersey City, New Jersey, who's worked closely with the AMA and other leading experts on addressing burnout. She'll be sharing her perspective as a critical care physician and a policy expert. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer in Chicago. Dr. Shaw, thanks so much for joining us today. As you know, the AMA has introduced a recovery plan for America's physicians, and reducing physician burnout is a very, very important pillar of that plan. We're gonna start uh, with a conversation about your thoughts on the needs for a recovery plan for physicians right now. Why do we need that? Todd, thank you for having me. It is mission critical if we want to keep everyone in America healthy that we actually implement this recovery plan, particularly for physicians, but really if we think even more broadly, anyone that works in healthcare. Think of it this way. If, if we don't have workers that are well enough, how are they going to be t- able to take care of us when we are sick? And we might need to see our doctor. We might need to go to the hospital. And to be honest, let me lay out the stage. Before the pandemic, 50% of physicians were burnt out. So we know the pandemic has not only added new challenges, but has really stretched, stretched our limits of what we can do, especially as we've had more and more limited resources. The rates of burnout remain critically high. And as we're going into this to, you know, more than two years since the pandemic, we really just have such a little reserve that we need to really think strategically and think about systems as we try and tackle all the drivers for burnout. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that. I wish there were an easy fix for burnout, um, but there isn't. And AMA and other leaders like you have long emphasized something you talked about, which is a systemic approach uh, versus an individual approach. Tell us a little bit about why that's so important and what health leaders need to help make that kind of paradigm shift quickly? It's really critical that we think about treating burnout with the right treatments. And if you go to how we get burnt out, burnout is literally an occupational condition. That means it is the workplace that is making us sick, not us ourselves. And to just kind of push this point a little bit more, physicians, when compared to age-matched education-matched peers are some of the most resilient people we have in this country. Our resiliency factor is so high. So it's not about giving us more resiliency tools, although that can be helpful. This is really about diagnosing and then applying a treatment that is appropriate. In this case, our workplaces are so toxic with clunky EHRs, with um, poor workflows, with not enough resources to just take care of the patient in front of us. So we must focus on addressing these system problems so that we can address burnout and work at the top part. Well, to help meet that particular need, you, uh, along with a team of experts, including the AMA, you've got an action plan uh, that can be initiated within three months. Tell us more about that plan and where, where, where do you begin? So I love that you brought this up. The plan is called the Wellbeing Five or 
more in more long form, the 2022 Healthcare Workforce Rescue Plan. And this is five evidence-based tactics that health systems can take with the current amount of resources and the current environment. We know everyone is, uh, is under a financial strain, but these five tactics actually can be implemented in three months and actually work. And I'll start by telling you a few of them. The first one is, these are non-normal times to adjust expectations. This makes me think of a, a cardiology a cardiologist friend of mine who said, I, I am seeing more and more sick patients because they've been waiting to come in because of COVID. And now that they're here, I'm trying my hardest, but it takes more time to see them. But at the same time, I'm being told, well, I have to see a patient um, on time and they can't wait more than, 20, than, than 15 minutes in the waiting room. So how do we set our doctors up to succeed? They wanna make sure the patients have good experience and they wanna make sure the patients get the best possible care. We need to adjust the expectations so that they can just do the best they can given where we are today. And the second one that I can give, um, and this is my favorite, it's getting rid of stupid stuff. And this is a, a title from a New England Journal of Medicine paper from a health system in Hawaii who asked this very deceptively simple question to all of their clinicians. And this is really, hey, there are a ton of low-value things that we are asked to document into the electronic medical record or things that we're asked to do day-to-day that just don't make sense. Can we get rid of this stupid stuff and focus then on what our patients need so that they can get better and we can do it in the fastest way possible? So these are two examples of the five um, of things that we can do today that we know work. Where can we find the rest, the rest of the five? <laughs> oh, I love these questions you're asking. So um, I'm happy to share. We have this up on a website. It's under the All In for Healthcare website. And the remainder three are the following. Number three, get radical to shore up staffing. We know that we just don't have enough doctors. And this was an issue even before the pandemic, something that AMA has brought up time and time again as they work with policymakers and health systems. But what can we actually do today? Well, let's go from man-to-man defense and let's get into zone defense. What would it look like if we took a doctor and instead of just making her do all of the tasks, as we kind of were pre-pandemic, what if we re-envisioned a team? How could a doctor better work with other members of the team, with other care team members in different specialties? And so we can really take one physician and multiply her to be three physicians. Or, for example, bringing in folks that typically don't have direct patient care to help offload us. So this is really where we think about who's retiring and what kind of work can they do, maybe in a shorter shift length, how could they support more junior doctors or more junior nurses if we work so closely with our nursing teams? There's just so many different innovations that happened. For me as an ICU doctor, we saw the, the whole different way that we could practice medicine in the ICU, where we had one doctor working with um, two nurse practitioners or two other physicians from different specialties, and all of a sudden we were able to double or triple the number of patients we could take care of. Um, and then if you really think about it, since we are pushing well-being in a very deliberate way, this really requires having a point first. So number four on the list is designate a well-being executive. This could be a chief well-being officer, and we've seen that in some organizations, or this could really just be the person that's still in the COVID command center or is leading operations. The key point is has operational abilities to make those decisions who can then be kind of the point person 
as we push out these system interventions. Well, you mentioned something in there uh, that is uh, specific to medicine, but also uh, I think we're dealing with broadly here in a post-pandemic world, which is staffing shortages. So if there was already a problem before, we're now facing uh, some additional complications there. They're putting additional stress on healthcare workers who are, of course, left to shoulder even more work than they had before. What kind of actions can leaders take immediately to address an issue like this? So I think it comes down to asking your teams what they need. And one word that comes to me is this word autonomy. Imagine if we gave physicians, nurses, and other care team members the autonomy to choose when they want to work. It's not that we don't want to work, right? We are so tied to our patients. But the thing is, we're only human. And so we have other demands outside of work. And um, when when I think about myself as a doctor in the ICU, I can't do my job without the nurses. And so one of the things we've seen in the pandemic is when you give the nursing teams the ability to self-schedule their shifts, they can choose which day they're taking off. They're more engaged at work. They're more present. Same with um, other support type staff roles. And on the physician side, this is about getting creative. How can we actually build a hybrid day so that we're not just forced to be in the office seeing patients? We can marry up telemedicine with office-based visits to accommodate not just patients' needs, but to accommodate our own as moms and dads and caretakers of others. This is where I think the the secret sauce is. There's so much we can do with technology, and this is about asking our people what they need and then trying to design for that, whether that's incorporating more virtual care in or just giving autonomy back to us, the physicians, and others that we get to work with. You took care of the nation. It's time for the nation to take care of you. The AMA stood by America's physicians and patients during the pandemic, and we're not stopping there. We're fixing prior authorization, leading the charge on Medicare payment reform, supporting telehealth, fighting scope creep, and reducing physician burnout. It's time to rebuild, and the AMA is ready. To learn more about the AMA Recovery Plan for America's Physicians, go to ama-assn.org slash time to rebuild. You used that word radical earlier. Is that what we're talking about here? Uh, It's uh, it's funny to think some of the things you're talking about are considered radical, but is there more to that or not? There sure is. And I think the silver lining of COVID is that we've gotten to experiment and the experiments have gone really well. So to give you an example, again, again, I'm going to talk about my world day to day in critical care. We would really have the traditional model of one doctor in the ICU, one nurse taking care of two patients. And again, I like to go back. I'm a basketball fan. So um, I have to say we were really practicing man-to-man defense. Now imagine if you had Zoom. Imagine if you had one doctor working with the same set of nurses, but instead we covered as a team the patients. You can actually see more. In fact, as we're dealing with the great resignation and as we're dealing with more travel nurses um, helping us when we're in the field or people that are a little bit more green, and we're, we know that, um, that there are a lot of folks that have been experienced that are are leaving both in in the physician side of the house, but also for nursing. We need better supports for newer folks that are maybe a little more less experienced. 
And, and this is where we really want to get radical. Imagine if you had a virtual senior position who was just kind of there, sitting at home, but wanting to, after, after being retired, actually help. Maybe they could port in, and this really happens in the ICU, but can happen elsewhere, and be that backup for doctors, for residents. Maybe you could have a senior nurse also be that backup when you need a second check for administering a medicine or giving blood, or literally just to be that backup so that a more junior person, a clinician that's in the field, has, uh, has an extra set of eyes um, or someone to bounce ideas off of. Now, before the pandemic, we rarely did this. We only saw this kind of thing with virtual care, especially in our hospitals, used in areas where it may have been harder to attract doctors and nurses, for example, using tele-ICU. But why can't we do this all the time, every day? This is for population health goals. This is for saving that patient in front of us. And this, for sure, is addressing burnout because we finally get the resources to meet the job demands we have every day. Well, those, those that know me uh, understand I get into trouble when I talk about sports analogies, but I did play basketball in junior high. And so I know what you're talking about, uh, at least there. And those are some radical, but really common sense kinds of ways that we can uh, approach a problem that really has been made worse by the pandemic. Um, you know, the final action item uh, in the plan uh, uh, really pushes organizations to go beyond what we would consider standard employee assistance programs. What What's going beyond look like? This is, I think, one of the most critical of the five for, for uh, what, we, what we know will work. And I think it's this, when we think about what happened in the pandemic, the first was, okay, we know our employees are distressed. We know doctors are distressed. Let's make sure... We have a employee assistance program and EAP set up because they may need some mental health help. And the truth is we do need that, but that like the typical pattern of dealing with burnout, it's missing a boat if we focus on this individual targeted support alone. And the truth, the truth is we are working so hard and we, we believe in serving our patients sometimes at our own expense that we may not even be able to access EAP or make that phone call because we are working so hard. So here's, here's examples of what we can do beyond EAP to support our mental health, which is related to burnout, but doesn't exactly treat burnout and also treat burnout. Here are examples. Um, number one, peer support groups. I am more apt to go talk to my colleague versus call a mental health provider. We know this. It's just stigma in medicine. So give us the funds and the time to be able to talk to our peers. I want my boss to tell me, hey, like I've had a tough day too. Let's sit and chat. Help me diffuse this and make it normal. I need space. In fact, Mayo Clinic ran this study where they actually paid doctors to go have dinner with each other. I mean, we all love to eat, so this worked out. But at the end of dinner, there would be a question on physicianhood. And that simple ask actually is a proven tactic to address burnout. So what can you do? And I'm not talking pizza parties. I'm talking help us where we are. Help us find time for peer support. There are even evidence-based peer support groups that can be put in place to train up peer coaches in a matter of hours, and they really can help us when we're in the field. So this is another example. This is about meeting people where they are and not just saying you have a mental health problem, here's a phone number. What I really love about your plan is that uh, you know it takes some very specific and tactical strategies that organizations can do you know, right now. 
Um, when you look longer term, though, at strategies for addressing physician burnout, what other types of things then do you begin to consider? Well, as you said in the beginning of our talk, burnout requires a multi-pronged intervention approach. We really can't go one by one. And so while we have this five-point plan, there have been many leaders thinking about what needs to be done long-term. And I'm happy to say, and I, I recently served as senior advisor for the U.S. Surgeon General, and the nation's top doctor, Dr. Rivek Murthy, has made this a national priority with the release of a Surgeon General's advisory on health worker burnout. And this came out in May. So this is actually the first time in history we have a roadmap or a blueprint coming from the federal government that says health systems, this is what we need to do short-term and long-term. Policymakers at the federal government, at the state government, and at the local level, here's what we can do. The tech industry, here's what we can do. And insurance plans, here's what we can do. And, and there are several other categories as well. So it really is going to take us following this plan, and I really urge everyone to take a look at it, because it is a starting point. But we finally have on paper, um, not only planting the flag by literally this, this advisory existing for the country, but calling on all of the key stakeholders beyond doctors, beyond the AMA, beyond health systems to say, this is our problem and we need to solve it together. And Todd, the best thing about this is it tells us that this is not just a healthcare crisis, this is a public crisis and we're calling on the general public to help us solve all of these system issues that have led to burnout. And that is exactly why the AMA's goal in launching our recovery plan for America's physicians, uh, uh, it needs meaningful change. Uh, we look forward to working with you and other healthcare leaders to make this happen. Uh, thank you so much for the work you're doing in this field. It's really, really needed. That wraps up today's episode, Dr. Shaw. We appreciate all your perspective. We'll be back soon with another Moving Medicine video and podcast. In the meantime, you can check out all of our videos and podcasts at ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thanks for joining us today and please take care. Thank you. This has been Moving Medicine, a podcast by the American Medical Association. Subscribe to other great AMA podcasts available wherever you listen to yours or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. I'm Todd Unger, and this is Moving Medicine.